Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Sophie Howard, who is diagnosed with Crohn's at the age of 11. She learned to navigate the ups and downs of Crohn's as a child and fought off countless infections over the years. But 14 years later, she chooses to look at the accomplishments in her life and hasn't let Crohn's hold her back. She's here to share her journey with IBD, tips and tricks for managing flares, and how she balances life with Crohn's. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sophie, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And can I just say what a great introduction that was? (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. You make it easy because of the great things that you do. So it was easy. So as I like to do with all of my guests, why don't you start by sharing your Crohn's story, a little bit about your first flare-ups and how you eventually got your diagnosis? Certainly. Um, So, I mean, I'm a big believer in like trauma being a Kickstarter for something such as IBD and, you know, Mm -hmm. something that aggravates the disease. When I was born, actually, you know, to sort of give you a bit of background, I was actually born with a mild photosensitive epilepsy. Um, And thankfully, I mean, I grew out of that. But on my journey with that, the doctors actually got my my diagnosis kind of wrong. They got my medication wrong. Um, they mistook they mistook the the sort of severity of the epilepsy for something that was much more severe. So they prescribed me some really really strong drugs at the time for that. And literally at the age of like two, I was like a zombie. Um, it was not a great time and I would completely sort of zone out and I would completely miss parts of my day. It was like the strangest thing ever. Um, Anyway, I mean, to cut that short, my parents sort of fought it. We saw another doctor, we got correct medication and that was that. And a couple of years later, I grew out of that. But I mean, I'm no professional um, and I sort of have my own theories, but I really believe it was that trauma that was put on my body at such a young age that aggravated um, my first flare and that sort of, you know, made me in the end have Crohn's disease um, because that was a Mm -hmm. a really stressful time for me to go through. Um, And I sort of believe that my Crohn's started at that point, but kind of sat dormant for a while. So, you know, I sort of got cleared of the epilepsy, had a clean bill of health, uh, you know, or so we thought, Mm -hmm. but then a couple of years after that, things got a little stressful. I can't really pinpoint exactly what it was. I think probably school and just life in general. And I remember being sort of really anxious and being a really anxious child. And before I knew it, I was kind of age 10 around and I was getting stomach cramps daily. I was bloating. I was vomiting. There was diarrhea. I mean, for a 10-year-old to be so poorly, it was kind of scary. And, you know, there was no way for me to be able to clearly say what was happening to me and clearly put my, you know, my pain 
levels, mm-hmm. you know, to describe the pain levels. Oh, yeah. So, so it took about 12 months really for us to get an answer as to what was going on with me. And I was honestly a miserable child. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it. Yeah. I mean, I was in pain every day. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand what I was feeling. We had sort of various nurses and doctors that would conclude that I had appendicitis or that I had just a viral infection and that it would clear up or, you know, and can you believe it or not? It actually got to a point where we sat with one doctor and the doctor in his office looked at my mom and said, hey, do you know if Sophie is happy at school or or happy in life? I mean, is she being bullied? You know, he was like, is she being bullied? I I wonder if she's finding a way to get herself out of school. Wow. Infuriating, right? (laughs) Wow. I mean, it's it's hard to believe in a way that that that's where they would go instead Um, of looking at the actual physiological symptoms that are there. Honestly. I know. I mean, mean, they just couldn't sort of pinpoint it. And that was kind of like the biggest thing for me. I was actually, because then I started to question myself. I I remember thinking, oh my God, like, am I, am I actually feeling this right? Am I, am I ill or is there something wrong with my mind? Like it was, it was Mm. not, it was not a good time, but we went through all of that. We had those kind of fights on our hand, but I don't know, it, it was kind of like one day we went into the doctor's surgery again. There was a new doctor um, and he listened to my symptoms and he was very, like, he was lovely. He was literally like another father figure. He was mm-hmm. amazing from the very beginning and he listened to my symptoms and he examined my stomach and I literally saw a light bulb go off above his head. You know, obviously I'm imagining that, but <laughs> I, yeah. saw, I saw it happen and he knew what was wrong with me. And he sat down and he said, I think this could be Crohn's disease, but I'm going to get her referred to the hospital and we're going to get it tested further. So for him to know just from like examining my stomach, it was mm-hmm. looking back now, it's crazy. And it's uh, so, I mean, it, kind of points to how important it is to find that right doctor. There's so many people with a similar experience where there's a doctor after doctor that just kind of brushes them off and says it's in your head or this isn't anything. And then they finally get that right doctor. And it's like, this is a very serious condition. And here's where we need to send you. Yeah, honestly, it was just, it's just a moment that sticks in my mind. And you know, lo and behold, I was then transferred over to Birmingham Children's Hospital, which is one of the biggest children's hospital in the UK. Um, they tested me with endoscopies, colonoscopies, barium x-rays, lots of blood tests. And soon after that, I, I got the official diagnosis. And yeah, it, it was Crohn's disease. Um, I was actually one of the youngest at the time to be diagnosed uh, with Crohn's disease at Birmingham Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like not a case study but I was kind of like one of the first that they had dealt with and it was a bit of a learning curve for some of some of the consultant teams there as well and you know they they studied it textbook and and all of that but to actually be dealing with a child that has this disease um it was yeah there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of learnings to be had at that time I believe it yeah and it's interesting I'll kind of 
jump in with a little side note here. You mentioned early on that you're a big believer in trauma as being a Kickstarter. And that's something I, I truly believe too. And there's not, I don't think there's a lot of science out there yet, but I know there's a lot of information about kind of the environmental factors, genetic factors, and then maybe like a triggering moment. And then just from a lot of the people I've been able to talk with, they've they've all seemed to have a, a trigger moment. And and I know for me as well, I think um, I blame the anthrax vaccine <laughs> on mine, <laughs> but uh, but it, there's always like this clear triggering moment. So I'm a, just a side note, I'm a big believer in the that traumatic kind of Kickstarter to create this perfect storm for, for IBD. Well, that's but. it, isn't it? And I mean, we're not professionals, are we really? And we, no. don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't know what, what happens to really cause that first flare, but oh, it, you know, that's just where I believe it's come from. It, it's just knowing, taking it back to that earlier point, you know, the trauma is, trauma can come in all forms, whether it's stress or whether it's actually like a physical trauma. And I remember you spoke to somebody who sort of got triggered by a car accident and mm -hmm. it's like, what on earth is going on? You know, what, what happens for it to like push out something like IBD yeah. and, you know, really take hold of somebody's life? Yeah. The body is amazing and we still, it's, fascinates me to think about how much we do know and how much we still do not know. It's, it's kind of just wild. Isn't it? And everyone's so different as well. And you just can't, you know, there's no one right answer for everybody. It's so frustrating. Exactly. So tell me a little bit, once you were, it sounds like you were about 11 years old, they finally get you a diagnosis. What was it like after that? Did they get you on some treatments? Were you able to find remission or did it continue to be this kind of up and down battle? Yeah, so I mean, it, it continued to be a bit of an, an up and down battle. Um, but the very first medication that they put me on was actually azathioprine and prednisone. So I was on steroid treatments um, from very early on. Um, it did kind of work after probably, probably nearly 12 months or so of um, beginning to take the, these two drugs, they started to have a bit of an effect. I think it took some time for my body to get used to what we were sort of putting into it. Um, and yeah, it was about 12 months worth of hospital visits, lots of blood tests. And, and then I really started to get into a better place. They also put me on infliximab infusions as well. So I'd be having, you know, even more time out of school to be able to go and sit and have my infusions. Um, it, the, to be honest, the time is a bit of a blur. I kind of try and think back and be like, okay, what actually happened at that time? But I don't know. It's just a blur of hospital visits and my panicked parents all the time, not knowing what's mm -hmm. happening. <laughs> but I believe it. We got through it in the end. So do you feel like you've finally, after all these years, do you feel like you've finally gained some control over Crohn's? Did you get to a, a good spot in finding management that works? Well, I think I did. So uh, it was about 12 months after initial diagnosis to get myself into a sort of a healthy place. And then once I did get myself into that healthy place, we kind of 
managed it as best we could and mum would change up my diet and she'd try and you know make sure I was looking after myself as, as well as possible really um you know she was she was always making sure I was drinking plenty of water and you know even when I didn't mm-hmm. want to drink water trying to rebel as a child um <laughs> but we got like yeah we got into a place where I was relatively healthy um I'd be fighting a lot of infections all of the time so I would get colds all of the time I'd get chesty coughs I'd get tonsillitis after tonsillitis and you know it was I think we were just told that it was just part and parcel of having IBD that this is you know we are suppressing Mm -hmm. your immune system so you are going to get infections you've just got to deal with it and I think being told you've just got to deal with it I did because there was no other option so you know I'd I'd be ill all the time at school and you know if anybody had a had a cold at school and they came near me you know the next day I'd wake up and I'd have the cold and it was you know it was one of those so we yeah we got we got myself into into a relatively healthy place um had lots of ups and downs with infections um but I I guess as I started to get into my teenage years I relatively actually felt really well and I kind of felt like I know it sounds really bad but I felt like I didn't have the disease and Mm -hmm. I think it was very easy for me at that point being you know growing up as a teenager getting into my teenage years wanting my independence I kind of almost rebelled a little bit in that I got really lazy with my medication and there were days where I'd forget to take it um and because it didn't affect me I didn't get sort of really really ill um Mm -hmm. I didn't go into sort of major flares from not taking my medication I was like oh I don't have the disease anymore this is great I can live my life as normal and not take any medication well Mm -hmm. that's silly isn't it because didn't (laughs) I learn that later on um I was about how old so I got to about 19 and I had my second major major flare at about the age of Mm -hmm. 19 um, and it was it was horrendous. I was in hospital for six weeks, nil by mouth for six weeks, wasn't allowed to eat. We had to, you know, rest my bowel. And it was, oh, man, I learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that you, not funny, but it's interesting that you say that because honestly, I have felt like that so many times over the years where I start feeling so good and then all of a sudden I feel like, maybe I don't have this Crohn's anymore and I can just be like everybody else and eat what I want and do what I want. And then I'll get lazy with my diet or things I do to manage it. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, Crohn's will remind me that it is still there. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. As, as much as we would wish it away. <laughs> so you had your second major flare and then did you get back on track and find yourself back into a good spot again? Uh, yeah, relatively. So my my second flare came between um, first, but in the summer between my first year of university and my second year of university. Um, so there was a lot going on anyway. And it, you know, it was quite a stressful time again, yeah. really. Um, and yeah, I just, I just made the decision that as I went, as I got myself better, I, went straight back into second year threw myself straight into my university work but I completely secluded myself from social events I didn't go out 
I hardly drank. I was really careful with my diet for a length period, you know, for a period of time afterwards. Um, and I kind of lost out on the, on sort of the, you know, the university life, if you like. I just, it was just what I had to do for myself to make sure that I wasn't going to have another flare up again. And I mean, I've not had another major, major flare since then. So, you know, touch wood and, you know, hopefully I stay as I am right now. But again, there are, you know, the ups and downs. I'm still getting the infections and I'm still, you know, getting ill to a point where actually I have to take a few days off work because I just need my own rest. But Mm -hmm. relatively right now, I'm, yeah, I'm doing well. That is good. So I want to jump back a little bit to something you said. You had mentioned that when you were a child that your mom would help change up your diet and kind of figure out different foods for you to eat. And so I'm wondering, we all know how individual food is with IBD. So tell me a little bit about your journey with food and how Crohn's has affected what you eat and do you have to watch what you eat now being in a pretty good spot? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. So really, to be honest, food has never, well, I found it's never really been a trigger for me. Um, I've always been pretty lucky. I'm jealous. (laughs) Wow, I know. I've always been pretty lucky in that actually I've never been, well, also I think or I feel I've never been triggered by food. Mm -hmm. For me, it's always stress. Um, But, you know, as I say, mum would help me change up my diet. And that was because when I was first diagnosed, we didn't know anybody who had Crohn's or who had colitis or anything similar. We were literally the first people in our little village that we live in. Um, You know, we have no family with history of it, no friends who have history of it or, you know, their families that have history of it. So it was very much a... um, it was very much a learning curve and we did a lot of, well, my mom did a lot of reading up on Crohn's disease and she read that food is one of the biggest triggers and, you know, maybe you should look at your diet. So that's really what she tried to do with me. Um, but yeah, we would, we would keep food diaries and we would write down everything that I would eat and put down symptoms if we thought that anything caused these symptoms but nothing really came of that you know I I I just yeah I can pretty much eat what I want to eat within reason of course yeah um Mm -hmm. but in terms of specific trigger foods I haven't actually found a specific trigger food so you know what I do find helps is if I feel like I'm potentially going into a bit of a flare, I'll do a low residue diet just to give myself a bit of a rest. Um, I drink lots of water so that I help flush through all of my food and help my digestive system in the best way possible. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just one of the it's it's really odd because I know a lot of people who really struggle with with food, and they always say to me, "Oh, how how is it that you, you know, you manage your condition and you don't have to cut out any foods?" And I'm like, I honestly don't know. I can't tell you. <laughs> I just I guess I'm lucky in that respect. <laughs> yeah, luck of the draw. But you're not lucky in that you still have the Crohn's, and you you mentioned stress is your major trigger. I know it's a big trigger for a lot of us. And you do have a blog, which is croneswithme.com. And in your blog, you do talk a lot about stress and 
what you do to manage that. So tell me a little bit about stress being a trigger for you and what you've learned to do over the years to hopefully help manage some of those triggers. Yeah, absolutely. So when I talk about stress, I talk about it in both physical and mental stress. And this has just been, you know, things that I have learned throughout the last 14 years of managing my condition. Um, when I look at, you know, mental stress, it's it's about what kind of pressure do I put on myself? What kind of pressure do I allow other people to put on me? Um, I've always been, you know, looking back at sort of my education, I've always been quite a high performer in school and I put a lot on myself to make sure that I'm revising and that I'm getting A grades and that I'm top of the class. And, you know, that would that would just be my sort of motivation. But when I put that pressure on myself, that starts turning into mental stress and then I start declining. So it's for me about trying to make sure I'm doing everything I possibly can to know that I'm setting myself up for success and that I'm not going to fail because if I start worrying that I'm going to fail at something I start overthinking it I don't sleep I feel anxious I get even more stressed and then bam I'm hit with a flare and then likewise with um sort of physical stress it's it's about you know what kind of pressures am I putting on my body and you know do I do a you know eight hour day at work and then do I go to the gym or you know and then do I cook tea and then do I walk the dog and that's a lot to do in a day and if I don't have my rest time then I you know my, my body starts feeling exhausted and then that's the physical stress that starts coming out and then I start you know, going downhill and start getting a flare. So it's about managing my time more than anything and making sure that I'm allowing myself my hour lunch that I get at work, that I sit down and I don't look at my computer screen and that I, you know, am resting in that hour and that when I come home from work, I, you know, either go to the gym or I walk the dog. I, I do one or the other. I don't do both because... I don't want to exhaust myself out. And, you know, that's really what I've learned is the balance. Yeah, that's so important. And it's such a hard, sometimes it can be such a hard thing to find because I know a lot of us with IBD are kind of fall into that overachieving kind of, a, I have this goal, I have to get it and I'll do anything to reach that goal. And so it's kind of, it's hard for us to recognize, all right, you know, let's do one or the other, let's rest, let's prioritize certain things and give ourselves that chance to rest. Have you, have you also prioritized sleep? Has that been a big part of letting your body heal and rest? Yes, absolutely. And I will tell you why. Um, so when I was first diagnosed and they put me on the steroid treatment, it gave me the worst insomnia. I, did not sleep for probably a few days at a time I would go with very, with none or very little sleep because the insomnia insomnia was so bad um I that was like torturous almost you know being so so tired but not able to sleep so that has almost like 
petrified me, I guess. It, it's so terrifying to me to not be able to sleep. So yeah, any chance I can get to sleep, I will be sleeping. <laughs> whether it's a nap in the day or whether it's a full eight hours at night, I need my sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about, I want you to go into a little bit more detail about how you manage that mental stress and the self pressures. Um, because I know a lot of us will do that where we put a lot of pressure on ourselves of, I have to get this done, or I need to do this. And, and they may not necessarily be things that we have to do, but there's things that we really just want to do. But we kind of wrap ourselves into this, I need need to do this and this and this, how do you, what are some of the things that helps you to alleviate that mental stress and not put so much pressure on yourself yeah so I tend to find that I get like a little bit obsessed with um thinking in my mind that I need to do this that and the other and they all come in very quick succession and I you know think of one thing and then I immediately think of another and there's no slowing down for me um, mm-hmm. so what I, what I do, and honestly, what has really helped me is I make a priority list. So I will, I have a physical notebook that every day I w- it's almost like a to-do list, but I actually prioritize it and I put, okay, what is an absolute must for me to do today and what can wait till tomorrow? And I, I use that to make sure that I am, you know, really looking after myself and not putting too much pressure on myself to get things done. And I've just, I guess I've had to learn that things don't need doing immediately, that things can wait. Mm -hmm. And you've just got to allow yourself to be able to, you know, let those things wait and only do what is absolutely necessary at that time when you think of something um you know I think I really learned this when I was when I when I was going through university and then on to my master's degree and it was you know I did a part-time master's degree while working full-time and I just could not Mm -hmm. do everything it was impossible so I really just had to learn to you know battle with myself to shift my mentality from you have to do everything now and it has to be perfect actually Mm -hmm. take a step back let's draft something first let's think about it first and then you know write it up or then go and do whatever you need to do um just don't just don't put pressure on yourself to do it all in the moment because it's just not Mm going to work and it's going to be you know it's not going to be enjoyable right that is such a good tip and reminder. And honestly, as you were talking about it, I'm sitting here thinking, I wish more people without IBD would have that same mindset. Uh, Because I know even when I go in to work every day, there's so many times where I feel like people operate in this panic mode of get this done now, get this done now, like this has to happen immediately. And and, And it's like, no, it doesn't. And I think that's one thing that IBD has really taught me as well, where it's like, I don't have to do everything right now. Things can wait. And I wish other people that didn't have IBD would have that mindset. (laughs) That's the thing, isn't it? And if everybody like, if everybody goes into that panic mode, 
that panic mode then manifests itself in a form of stress and it's it's not good for anyone <laughs> least not good yeah. for us with IBD <laughs> it's really not at all <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your your work so you travel a lot for work and you're going not just you know local travel but you're traveling all over the world so and it's also one of your passions i believe so tell me a little bit about some of the things that you've discovered over the years that makes travel easier for ibd and especially how you deal with some of those longer international flights which can be stressful on the body and mentally as well too so talk to me a little bit about how you balance IBD and travel and, and get that all into a, a good a good place. Yeah, definitely. So this is like actually my favorite topic to talk about because I just am obsessed mm -hmm. with travel. I just really have the travel book. So I'm like, any chance I can talk about it? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've been all, all over the world. I think you just came back from like New York City. You've been to San Francisco. You've been to Iceland, I think you said Santorini. So you literally go all over the world. Yeah, definitely. And not all of that is for work. Um, uh, some of it is, you know, for my own holiday and, you know, my own retreat. But I mean, travel has always been something that I wanted to do ever since I was younger. I remember, you know, on career days at school, I was like, I want to be an air hostess because I want to travel everywhere and it's so glamorous. Mm -hmm. Well, that never manifested. And to be honest, I'm kind of <laughs> glad that it didn't. <laughs> but um, mm -hmm. it was it's just always been, you know, a passion of mine to get out and, and travel. And really, I sort of fell into my career that I'm doing now. And the first sort of flavor of travel that I had was um, I went over to Chicago and did a um, did a show over in Chicago, and that was just me. I, that was just me absolutely pop, putting myself into the career and kickstarting it, and you know thinking, okay, I need to do more of this because this is amazing being able to fly everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that was my first trip uh and then the in the year after that again with work I went to Mauritius and I've also been to Reykjavik in Iceland and then you know most recently New York and San Francisco um so my tips for for managing travel with work especially is honestly mm -hmm. is pack as little as possible because mm. I find it so much easier and so much more sort of less stressful if I have everything with me in a cabin case that I have on me at all times. I don't know. I don't know why, but if I have a checked for holidays, it's a little bit different. But when I'm working, if I have a checked bag. I just get really anxious for some reason that it's not going to turn up and I'm not going to have my work clothes and I'm not going to have this, that and the other. And it just, it, it just doesn't, I don't know, it, the stress just gets too much of trying to plan what I'm going to wear for work, what I'm going to take for work, because I need to represent myself. This is an important trip. You know, mm -hmm. I've got people to impress. So I kind of put on my professionalism professionalism, and think, mm -hmm. you know, I have to be the best version of me. So if I have everything that I need in my cabin case that I keep on me at all times, 
I know that that's not going anywhere and I've got everything that I need and I'm so much more at ease. So that's a good little Yeah, tip. I mean and luckily, you know, when you're traveling for work, I think the most the most time that you spend away is usually five days to seven days. It's not usually a long trip. So you don't actually need mm -hmm. to take an entire case and, you know, you don't actually need your whole belongings in your house with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to be able to condense it all down is just my biggest tip. And it's my, you know, it's really where I see helps me to be in a better place when I travel. Um, and mm -hmm. then also, again, the whole thing of, you know, let other people sort it out for you. So we have, you know, our managing directors have their assistants that sort out all the travel for everyone. So, you know, we have Leslie Blesser and she'll sort out all the flights and all the hotels and she'll just send you the confirmation. And, you know, don't get stressed about trying to book everything. You know, there's people there that can help me. So, I just let them do it for me and then I just turn up at the airport and I go. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best way to travel. Exactly. <laughs> How do you handle the long flights? Is that stressful on your body when you're doing international flights? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't really have sort of a, a major tip for this. I just, I just sort of go with the flow and I you know try and keep my anxieties about being on a, a long flight at bay um I really try and drink as much water as possible so that I'm fully hydrated um I what I do find is that usually when I fly I think the air in the cabin can it can affect me sometimes and I'll come off a flight mm -hmm. and I'll be a bit groggy and you know I feel like potentially I'm coming down with a cold so I just try and make sure I take as much you know and as many vitamins as possible before I take a trip just to sort of give my body a bit of a boost but again it's just you know for me is when I'm on an international flight you know keep the anxieties at bay you know try not to stress out about anything that that you really don't need to stress about be as comfortable as possible so if that means you need to look you know look a bit questionable in your old tracky bottoms or even if you need to wear your pajamas on a on a long haul flight do it because I have done that before and it was so comfortable <laughs> you might be doing it again <laughs> exactly but yeah it's just make sure that you're doing everything you can to make make yourself as comfortable as possible I mean it's a long haul mm -hmm. flight they're not going to be easy on anyone so yeah and do you have any trouble when you take your medications on the flights? Do you ever run into any issues getting those through any of the security checkpoints or anything like that? Yeah, luckily, no, actually. I, I've always been very, very lucky in that I've never been stopped. Um, mm -hmm. I think I, mean, I always keep my medication in their boxes so they're labelled correctly so that you can, you know, if anybody was to ask that they could clearly see what it's for. Um and in the UK, when we get a prescription, we always get a, a little prescription slip that has your patient medical history on it. So I always take that with me as well so that I'm prepared. If, if, if I was to be asked, then I clearly have it, you know, marked and they know what it's for. But yeah, I've never been stopped. So fingers crossed I never get stopped. <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned you're pretty active. You're definitely active. You're always on the go, traveling and just going around the cities. And but you also you mentioned finding that balance between when you get home from work, if how you're going to be active. Is it going to the gym or is it going to be walking your dog? So what role do you think fitness and just being active overall plays in helping manage Crohn's disease for you? Yeah, definitely. I think being as active as possible or, you know, at least doing some form of exercise definitely helps because it's that old thing, isn't it? It releases endorphins that makes you happy. So, you know, where possible being able to get yourself into a place where you can exercise and you can do things to um, get yourself into a fitter state to be able to manage any kind of flare. I think it's always a good thing, but I don't put too much pressure on myself to do it because honestly, I've pushed myself in the past to try and get fit. You know, I wanted a six pack mm-hmm. and I wanted muscle and to be toned and it, it almost put me into another flare doing that. So because of the physical stress that I was putting on my body so it's really about finding the balance and what works personally for you um as to you know how far you push yourself and and what your body can handle what are some of the different activities you found that have really been beneficial for you Definitely having a dog and definitely walking the dog. <laughs> he's very noisy, as you probably can hear him a little bit, but um, he he's just like, he just gets me out and about and he, you know, we get up early in the morning and we walk and I come home from work and I walk and just having that little bit of time for some fresh air more than anything yeah. and being able on a weekend to go further afield and do longer walks, you know, say the Malvern Hills which is a beautiful walkway that we have in in the Midlands in the UK it's you know to be able to get out and just have some fresh air has really been the best activity that for me. Yeah I agree I actually I like to do some walks during the day and get outside and it just being outside feeling the sunshine the weather the fresh air it really does make a difference. It really does I always am happier when I'm in the sunshine. (laughs) I am too. <laughs> and having a dog makes me happy too because uh, they're just, they're always so happy. And I think it, it kind of, you mentioned you really enjoy having the dog and being able to take them out walking. And, yeah. But they really have lift our mood overall. They're just, they're always so happy. <laughs> yeah, he is. And he's literally like a teddy bear as well. So that always helps because <laughs> he's so cuddly. Oh, <laughs> it's the best kind. So you mentioned the fitness kind of helps to, manage some flares and keeping your stress down is also a big key there. Are there other things that you've found that you like to do if you feel your body having some more symptoms or maybe feeling like a mini flare is coming up? Are there certain things that you'll do to help come out of that? Yes. Um, So really and this is like kind of the only thing that I've really felt that really works for me it's I always take long hot baths like bubble baths or with bath bombs or you know any kind of um, bath salts you know having a hot bath is the best way for me to 
one manage pain but also you know get away from the stresses of the day and I always find that if I feel my body is kind of declining and I'm not doing too well having a hot bath just instantly gives me a boost so I'll I'll do that and I usually try and have a nice hot bath two three times in a week um just to make sure I'm keeping on top of um well, yeah, just keeping on top of my health. It's more of a well-being yeah. thing, really. <laughs> yeah, especially since one, it, since your main trigger is stress. I mean, that would make perfect sense that it would just help to yeah. recenter yourself and just put you in a good place. And to do it multiple times during the week. Definitely. And, you know, also when I'm at work, you'll you'll probably very often find me sat at my desk with a hot water bottle. Because um, if I have pain in my stomach and I'm, I'm, a, I'm at work you know sort of having painkillers doesn't really help me actually it's having a bit of heat on the pain that reduces the pain so you know even in the summer when it's like really hot outside you'll still find me sat in the office some days with a hot water bottle against my stomach it's mm-hmm. a bit crazy to people but you know it's what works for me yeah and it's so important to find that so I want to talk a little bit about all the advocacy that you're doing. You uh, have a, a great online presence with your Instagram. You're always sharing crone stories and just kind of things throughout your life. But you also have your blog, which I mentioned earlier, the croneswithme.com. So tell me a little bit, what was it that really compelled you to start sharing your own crone story and start talking about IBD? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, when I was first diagnosed, I didn't know anybody else that had IBD. And I really, for so many years, felt really alone in it. Um, I was kind of managing it myself. And although my friends and my family were a great support system, they didn't really understand what I was going through. And it was hard for them to relate. So Back, back then, it was kind of before social media and I certainly didn't have um, a presence online on Facebook or anything like that because I was just too young for that at the time. Um, and then when social media became a thing, I kind of didn't really join to talk about Crohn's. I just joined because my friends were joining and I didn't really take it any further. I kind of put my Crohn's disease to the back if you like and I I didn't really do anything to to talk about it because I felt like I couldn't I felt like nobody really understood Mm -hmm. and then one day last year I just started following a few people um, with Crohn's with colitis with other sort of chronic illnesses and really started seeing all the good work that they were doing to break stigmas and to really talk about their experiences and I just thought do you know what? I really feel like I have something to add to this community. I work full time. I have Crohn's. I'm managing it as best as I can. I'm now trying to travel the world, basically trying to do everything. And what better way to have a diary, if you like, than to start a blog and start talking about the experiences. And it's more so for me to look back on it in the future. You know, I'm fully expecting myself to be old and crippled you know within well within 10 years or so you know not being able to do anything because 
of all the medication that I'm on and, and all of that. So I just thought, do you know what, if I can help show people that once they get out of their flares and they get into remission, life can be good. You've just got to manage your condition and you've just got to, you know, push yourself to get out there and to really live live life how you want to live life. And that's mm-hmm. really my message. It's, you know, making simple adventures as fun and as easy on yourself as possible. I love that. And I think it also shows just that you need to seize the opportunities when they're there. When they when you are feeling good, make the most of life and just take everything that that you can and enjoy what's there. Exactly. So has talking about Crohn's and sharing your journey, has it shaped your own view of Crohn's disease and IBD in general? Yes, definitely. I think it has made me more aware and um, feel more able to be open. I mean, I've always been pretty open about my Crohn's disease with my friends and my family, and I've always been pretty good at sort of explaining how I'm feeling. But also Mm -hmm. at the same time, I used to be very aware that I didn't want to seem like I was moaning or that that's all I was talking about because they just didn't understand. But now I'm part of this amazing community where everybody is talking about their experiences daily. You know, that's normal now and that's good. And we're all pushing each other to be better and we're all pushing each other to widen the conversation and to make sure actually we are educating everybody who doesn't have or doesn't know about IBD you know that we're educating people to Mm -hmm. what it's like to live with it yep exactly what's been the most surprising thing for you about this whole this whole journey in sharing your story does anything kind of stick out in your mind um I I think yeah I think the amount of people that feel at such a loss with their IBD that they're in such a bad place at the moment that they don't ever think that they're going to be able to work full time or they don't ever think that they're going to be able to travel. I think that to me is really sad and, you know, we need to do everything we can to support them in getting themselves into a better place. But also I just want people to realise that if you want something really badly, you will go out there and you will seize the opportunity and you will make the most of it and you're going to be okay. It might take you a bit longer to get to that place and that's okay as well. But it's, yeah, it's just been such an eye opener for me, the amount of people who really feel at a loss and I really want to help them and give them some inspiration to feel like they can do what they want to do eventually. Mm-hmm. Yep especially when you're getting that diagnosis for the first time and it's so overwhelming. It's, it's amazing the IBD community that we do have and just the number of people that are starting to talk about it and starting to share their stories. I think it's, it's such an incredible and important thing to do. So thank you for your part in doing that. Yes. Thank you. I just, now, now I've started talking about it. You can't shut me up. (laughs) (laughs) Which is good. (laughs) Definitely. So if people do want to follow your journey and 
kind of watch you online and hear what you're talking about, where can they do that? Yeah, so I have my blog, which you can follow, which you mentioned earlier, is croneswithme.com. And I'm also on Instagram, which is at croneswithme. Um, and that's really my main platforms that I post on. Um, I'm starting to do some IGTVs on Instagram as well. So I'm starting to sort of mix up my content a little bit um, so that I'm giving a wide variety for everybody to enjoy. That's fantastic. So we covered a lot today. Is there anything that I did not ask that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think... uh... I've talked for England today, <laughs> but, it's a good, but it's a good thing. Um, it so is. it's been it's been really good and, and refreshing to, um, yeah, just to share my story again. This is the first podcast that I've actually done, so thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for jumping on. I I really appreciate you being here today and sharing your story and just giving so many tips and great advice. Just from the things that you've learned over your years with IBD. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn'sFitnessFood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.